0: Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here, and we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent, and yet you're not always sure how or when to help with
1: that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading
0: experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids.
1: We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you
0: what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. And we are here today with, do you go by Andrea Brenner, or is there another name in there? A- Andrea name? Malcolm Brenner, yes. Andrea Malcolm Brenner. A new friend. Uh, yeah, who I met. We were both at the HECA conference in 2022, and that is a conference. It's a small organization that supports college counselors, basically. And actually, a member of our team, uh, Scott Garbini, is really involved with HECA, which is how we ended up there. So welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, why don't you start by just give us the backstory? Tell us how you got into what you're doing and a little bit about what you do. Sure. I have a fairly unusual career path, which I love to share with students
2: who think that they need to have a linear career path. <laughs> so I was a uh, sociology kid. I studied sociology um, all through undergraduate and then went on to uh, get a PhD in sociology uh, with every intent of uh, teaching sociology at the college level, um, which is exactly what I did. And I have—I was a college professor. I was a sociology professor at American University in Washington, D.C. for 20 years. And and my area of focus, I was actually sociology of the first year students. And so I really worked very closely, not only with faculty on the college campus, but with staff, anybody who was student facing from residence life to academic support, talking about where students, uh, first year students failed to thrive. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying where they failed, but where they failed to thrive on the college yeah. campus. And it became uh, clear that when American University decided to create a first year experience program, which is a first year transition course, for all incoming, a mand- mandatory course for all incoming students. I was the one that they chose since this was my um, academic field. And so I created that course and it actually won many awards in the country because it's if it's not the only, it's one of the only mandatory full year courses uh, that combines not only transition to college material, but also sort of talking across difference and learning uh, to live with people unlike yourself. So after many years of that, I was at AU for 25 years. I decided, you know, I really wanted something different. I went off on my own. Um, I wrote a book called How to College with a colleague from AU. Uh, That book's become a uh, first-year common reads for many colleges, which is really exciting for us. And then what would happen, I would be asked to speak at high schools and colleges across the country. I loved it. I love working with parents. That was new to me. Um, And the question I would get again and again, mostly from parents of uh, neurodiverse kids uh, was, you know, I love... Your book, but my kid really can't sit and read a whole book. And so I created a card deck of conversation prompts for college bound students and their parents called the Talking College Card Deck. And um, that card deck has, um, I'm thrilled to say it's done. Yeah, I've been, I've probably sold 40,000 decks at this point. Um, But what's exciting about it is they're chunkable, doable, tactile cards, and they work for lots of different uh, learning styles. And um, actually, just coming out today, it's being delivered. The cards are being translated to Spanish, which I'm thrilled about because a lot of first-gen programs have started to use them, but the parents don't necessarily uh, speak English as fluently well as the kids. So English that's delicious. kind of how I got here. And uh, now I call myself a college transition educator, and uh, I do a lot of traveling and speaking with high schools and colleges. Lovely. That's such college. a great
1: course. Yeah, I'm well, actually, I know, like, you know. College transition educator. I'm going to write that down. That's a cool. I like people with cool job descriptions. Oh, thank you. So. so
0: go oh, ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it's it was <laughs> So you, you started working with parents. You also have a framework. And It is interesting. What I'm loving about your story is, you know, parents come to us all the time. And they say, well, you're going to work with my kid. Like, no, we're working with you because you set the tone, you create the environment, you have the relationship with your kid. And what I hear you similarly doing is really focusing on helping the parent understand how to be in conversation with these young adults rather than focusing directly with the young adults. Can you speak to that a little
2: bit? Absolutely. And, you know, I don't think it's black or white. I was actually just listening to a recorded webinar this morning when the host was talking about um, students re- uh, receiving accommodations in college. And they said, this is a time to cut parents out completely. The student needs to call. And and, and the point is, yes, colleges, um, you know, without a FERPA waiver, colleges do require the communication with that student. That's, yeah have to be realistic. And parents don't go from being their child's greatest advocate in the K through 12 system to being completely on the back burner, you know, when that student um, enters college. And so I believe in this sort of transitional time where parents need to be clearly used to taking a a back seat, but it's a slow process and Mm -hmm. students don't go from dependent to independent overnight. And, you know, I, I love to tell parents, think about what you're currently doing for your child that you don't need to do for your child, that your child is capable of doing, and also what your child can be learning to do. And so pretty much all of my work starting in ninth and 10th grade with parents is teaching those skills, right? And, but the parent playing a really large role in those conversation prompts. Um, you know, you say to a parent, talk to your kid about transitioning to college, Either that parent never went to college or the parent went to college 30 years ago. Life is very different. And so part of that is giving the parent the prompts, um, giving the parent the tools to help them work and then encouraging other resources, you know, academic coaching, um, tutoring, whatever, you know, life skills coaches, executive functioning coaches. Those are important People in the student's team, and then ideally, when the student gets to college, they're not doing it independently, but they know how to ask for help, and that to me is crucial, especially in that 11th and 12th grade. It's teaching that asking for help is actually an adulting skill, right? And that's that's just some of my favorite language because if you sit down with a bunch of adults and you say, you know, what do you do if you don't know something? We're easily um, able to say. I Google it, I call an expert, I research online. If I'm in a crisis with a death in the family, for example, I call friends to help, right? But then we talk to high school students and we say, what does it mean to be an adult? They either say, it means doing it all on your own, right, completely Mm -hmm. independent, or they say, I have no idea, it's foreign to me. And I would love to, as a society, um, if we can start teaching high school students that adulting actually means finding your resources, not necessarily doing it all by yourself.
1: Well, and I want a
0: huge value for us. I just want to acknowledge what you're saying because this (laughs) is a huge part of what we teach all the time, too.
1: Well, and I Um, just had that conversation this morning with a mom of a tenth grader. But and I and I want to go there, but I want to go back to what you said earlier, which is this takes time. This takes the kid being ready, and it's. I mean, parents come to me all the come come to us all the time, freaking out. Oh my gosh, my kids in eleventh grade. They have to learn everything. They have to learn to be on their own in exactly 14 months, and then I have to be completely out of it. And so part of this is setting up realistic expectations for the parent and the child, because sometimes these kids aren't ready to start learning these skills until 11th, 12th college age. And so it's about creating the trajectory based on where the kid is and where the kid eventually needs to be. Is, am I getting that right? Yeah, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I would say there's two pieces of that. One is,
2: I mentioned earlier, chunking. You know, you don't say to any teen, but especially a teen with executive functioning issues or learning process or processing issues, you know, go get the ingredients and bake a cake, right? We can do that as adults. We've had experience, but we need to break down what that means, right? They need to know how to, you know, maybe get to the market, use money, purchase the supplies, know what you have in the house already, measure, cook, etc. And so, life skills are very much like that. We don't, We shouldn't say, you know, just figure out how to get up on your own or just figure out how to keep your room clean. Um, there are chunking pieces of it, right? We have to teach them those skills. So 11th grade is a little on the late side for the work I do, but it's never too late. So I think that's one piece is I, I there's the earlier, the better to start manageable skills even if it's just the first part right so you may not be ready to you know it's kid you may not be ready to make your lunch yet in fifth grade let's say but you are able to know that you're out of apples in your house and can write that on a shopping list. So whatever way and every family's different, every student's different, but really being able to break that down into manageable chunks. I think that's a really important part of preparing for the transition. So you don't have that panicky 11th grade. I've got to teach my kid everything. The other thing I will say is that not every kid has to go directly to college and COVID has been a blessing in disguise in some ways because we have learned that there are multiple career paths and that college is a wonderful, wonderful resource um, and certainly gives students and adults a leg up. But not everybody's ready for college. There are wonderful gap year programs. Uh, There are wonderful programs where students can learn some of those skills if they do not feel ready. Sorry, I keep babbling on. One more thing I would say is that one of the myths that I see again and again when I talk to high school parents is that they believe that their student needs to be 100% prepared socially, emotionally, and academically for college in order to go to college. And I would say that's not true. Having worked with, Mm -hmm. you know, tens of thousands of freshmen on a college campus, they're messy. They come (laughs) and and that's okay. You know, the 18, 19 year old brain is not ready 100% in every avenue. So, you know, your kid might have social anxiety, but they might absolutely knock it out of the park in the classroom. They might struggle with time management, but have no problem with social skills. So I would, and I'd love to tell parents, it's a myth that every student who's ready for college is ready on all of these different
0: platforms. So true. You know, I had a a parent educator who spoke to us when one of my kids was a senior that I'll never forget what he said, because it was so It was so clever. And he said, your kids go off to college as high school seniors. They go back after Thanksgiving break as college freshmen. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. And I thought it was really telling because that it helps us begin to see that it's a process of transitioning, that it doesn't happen all at once. And when they first go, they really don't know what it means to be a college kid, but they do know what it means to be a high school senior. Exactly. Absolutely. And so and that notion that they have to be a hundred percent prepared is a myth. So yeah. beautiful. Thank you for that.
1: Can we go back to this conversation about asking for help? Because this is such a a key thing, is this life skill. And I love the way you said that. It's like adulting is about asking for help. Absolutely. So how do we how do we normalize that? How do we make that? So, so can I revise the question a yeah. little bit? Can I tweak it? Sure what guidance do
0: you have for parents whose kids are resistant hmm. because you know we can tell them adult asking for help is a, is a life skill and we can model it and all of that but a lot of our kids especially when they're complex kids and there's some conflict with the relationship some control issues with the relationship the kids are resistant to receiving help
1: And there's perfectionism and anxiety and all those sorts of things. And control and yeah, right. So So I have
2: a lot of answers. Well, first I would say let's think back to the fact that in elementary school, the kid who had their hand up was the kid who didn't know, and the kid who didn't have their hand up was the smart kid, right? That that's a myth, of course, but that's where a lot of our students came from. If I raise my hand, it means I I don't know, right? I'm I'm dumb, even, and that's such a different approach in college. College professors want the questions. The smartest kids in the college classroom are those that ask the next question, the next level. They're curious. So I think we're working towards that. And that's something that I do think that certainly coaches can work on, but high school teachers should, should really be working on as well. So I would say a wonderful place to start, and this can be done as early as 10th grade, Um, And it's something I work with a lot of families to do is parent student, they give 15 minutes of their time, maybe 20 minutes. They each have a piece of paper. They sit on other opposite sides of the kitchen table so they can't see each other's paper. And they start to write down the student writes down everything they think they need to learn about the world before they go to college. What don't I know? What? Here's my long list. The parent during the same time writes down everything they think their kid needs to learn before they go to college. And then they share the lists. And here's some interesting things. And I've done this with so many different focus groups. Here's some interesting things that come up. Many things are on both lists. Mm -hmm. And that is an acknowledgement, right? That, okay, here's a skill I think you need to know. Here's a skill you think you need to know. Bonus. You know, that's wonderful. And that's where I would say, especially for the resistant kid, that's a great place to start. And again, they may not be able to teach that in one day. That might be a chunking activity. You know we're going to focus on this on the, you know, the next month. The and next month, yeah. Maybe, and maybe it's not the parent that's going to be the teacher. You know, your yeah. brother is really good at this. Your uncle is excellent at this, right? How about the neighbor? She, she, can, she can help you with this skill, right? So it's mm-hmm. not always the parent that's got to be the savior or the fixer or the teacher. And often not the parent, often better when it's not the parent. Yes, yes. And and to go back to your question about the resistance, I think maybe better if it's not the parent, right? Yeah. Here's another thing that comes up in this exercise. And I actually did it with my own kid who's a, my youngest is a uh, uh, junior in college right now. You know, this is a kid who grew up, the mom who wrote the book, How to College, right? He grew up on a, as a baby on a college campus. And one of the things on his list was, I don't know how to do my taxes, and this has actually come up in many of the focus groups that students write this. And when the conversation happens afterwards and the parent says, well, oh, honey, that's not something you actually have to know in the next couple of years. That's not something you have to do on your own to go to college. The relief that washes right. <laughs> And there are other things on the list that, yeah. they, you know, that an 18 year old brain, 16 year old brain, however old you do this activity. It's a relief of like, I don't have to know everything about the world yet. So that is also a benefit of the activity. Right. And then, of course, there are things that are different that are on the students list. And the parent says, I think you actually know this or, you know, a good part of this or on the parents list. And the kid says, you know, I know that. And the parent says, well, you know, this part of it, but not this part of it. So I believe it's a great activity to start the dialogue. And it works really well for kids, especially kids who are resistant because you think they know everything already.
0: Or res- resistant for a lot of reasons, because you're making me remember, helping me remember when my my middle kid, who's now almost 26, and when she was preparing to go off to college, she was a high performer. And she was she was stalling on looking at schools and applications and all this. And she was really, really struggling. And we finally got to the core of what's underneath the conversation. And it's exactly what you're speaking to. She was afraid of adulting. Mm-hmm. And so she didn't it's not that she didn't want to go to college, but if she pr- proceeded in the process, it was going to bring her that much closer to adulting. And she didn't feel she had the skills. Yep. She's well, the one who thought she had to be 100 percent prepared.
1: There you go. Well, and, and I think know. that that's the piece of it is that, you know, there's this perspective that college is adulting and college <laughs> is not adulting. At all adulting. I mean, it's like that's part of why I think, you know, I, I have a story that a lot of kids Just having four years, if your kid doesn't go to college, give them four years before they have to adult, because that's part of the development process, right? So Mm -hmm. the parent who says, well, if you don't go to college, you got to start a career right now it's like, well, wait a second. If they had the this-
0: skill set
2: to do the college, they might uh, right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. Right.
2: <laughs> right. And you know, some of my work in the first year experience space, and I work with colleges to create first year experiences. Mm-hmm. Some of that is, is exactly what you're talking about. You know, colleges know that those students are lacking in some of these adulting skills. So it's not just, you know, finding the library on campus. It's not just finding resources, but it's also time management, how to, how to uh, interact with professors, you know, talk to adults leave a voicemail, uh, write a professional email. A lot of first-year sure experience courses, a lot of colleges are stepping up and saying, kids are lacking coming in with some of these adulting skills. And some of these are bite-sized and manageable, and we can actually teach them in the first semester.
0: Well, and in my experience, it, COVID, another example of a way in which COVID kind of created this new wrinkle was that the college kids would get to campus and the only people they had to talk to were the professors because they didn't have upperclassmen there because they weren't actually on a campus in the That's same a way. Good point. Absolutely. And so then you have this other dynamic of they don't have students or peers to talk to and they don't know how to talk to the professors.
2: Yes. I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. So, all right. So we do need to start wrapping up this conversation.
2: So tell people how they can find out more about you. Sure. Uh, probably the best way is through my website. A.M. Brenner, B-R-E-N-N-E-R.com, A.M. Brenner.com. And through there, you can book me to speak at your um, kids high school or colleges can book me that way. The My book is on sale there. My card decks are on sale there. Um, but also I have a lot of articles. I do a lot of writing, uh, a lot of my articles, other podcasts that I've uh, been lucky enough to be a host uh, guest on are there. So lo- lots of information, um, following me on social media. I do lots of free giveaways. I advertise lots of webinars. Um, even for colleagues, um, because, you know, I do have a bunch of high school families uh, who follow me. Um, so I would say ambrenner.com is the best way to get in touch with me. Um, I don't do one on one counseling. I don't do one on one work with families, um, although I'm happy to answer questions and I'm certainly happy to give referrals.
0: Fabulous. And we will make sure that the deck and the and the book and everything is accessible in the show notes Thank as you. well. I appreciate Thank that. You. I appreciate it.
1: Well, we've talked about so many different things today. Is, is there anything that we've left off that you're like, oh my gosh, we got to make sure we talk about this or, is, or or how do we wrap this conversation up?
2: Yeah, so I would say one of the important parts of working with college parents and something I've realized over the last few years is that when we watch our student walk away, you know, as they, as they leave us, as still a high school senior, and we leave them on the college campus uh, and drive, and literally drive away. We see the back of that kid. We see the with the student with all their baggage, right? We see the student who struggled at this or that. That the student who had to be picked up from the birthday party sleepover because they couldn't handle it. Uh, you know, the student who is the last one to tie their shoes. We see all of that stuff, but the college doesn't see that. And the college is ready to welcome a messy, not perfect uh, first year student. Uh, There are faculty and staff on college campuses who are, you know, especially trained in working with the 18, 19 year old brain. So do keep in mind, parents, that when your student leaves, and even though you see your small child leaving you, they are sort of being welcomed as a young adult and they are moving to a place that has resources. And the key there is, you know, you go on college tours, you go to info sessions, every college talks about the, you know, hundreds of wonderful resources they have. And that's true, but they're useless if the student doesn't cross the threshold to, to get into the um, writing center or disability support, whatever those resources are. And your student's
0: not going to use those resources because you tell them to. Correct. Your student's going to use those resources when you enroll them in seeing the value to them. And part of what I love about what you're doing, Andrea, is that you're really inviting parents earlier to have conversations that, that enroll their kids in their own success. So yes. We talk a lot about moving out of director mode and into collaborator mode. And what I see in your work is that you're really also guiding parents to become collaborators and then supporters so that these kids are learning to take ownership of themselves. Absolutely. And and that's a complicated process. And if you feel like like you need some support with that, it's probably because you do.
1: <laughs> Most of yes. us do. Right. Yes, because yes. it's because we, we don't know how to do that either as parents, right? Oh, and as much and as nobody these kids don't know how us. to Nobody taught us, right? we know nobody nobody how to be a director because yeah. that's what we've been doing. We know how to be years. a fixer.
2: We know how to be right? an advocate. We know how to be an organizer, a director. That's been our role and it's been an appropriate role. Right. And, and, and now it's time role. to transition. And that role changes,
0: yes. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for sharing for for the work you're doing, first of all, because I am really excited to share this with our community. And I think it's a beautiful synergy to the work we do in training parents how to have these conversations and how to move into collaborative mode. There's, I think there's a lot of of really good collaboration and and complement. Complementary stuff going on, yes. so and I really want to acknowledge your path in kind of starting in one place and moving to another and seeing a need and filling the need and and really making a difference on a on a much broader scale by applying what you learn. That's it's a great reminder for us and for parents and for kids to see that they're not going to have one path in their lifetime; they're likely to have many. Mm-hmm. So. Thanks for that. Anything else, Diane, you want
1: to As we close, Andrea, favorite quote or motto?
2: Yes, and you were going to ask me this. Um, so my motto, uh, actually, my favorite quote is an Adam Grant quote. Adam Grant's an organizational psychologist. And he says, the real test of parenting is not what children achieve, but who they become and how they treat others. Yeah, and yeah. I just love that.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you that, so true. With that, parents that are listening... Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, parents, for being with us. Thank you for everything you're doing for yourself and for your kids. At the end of the day, you make the difference.
2: Thank you so much, Diane and Elaine. Take
0: care, everyone. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school.